Uh, good evening, everyone. Hi. Um, for those of you who are watching tomorrow morning at the Brentwood campus, I'd like to say good morning to you, um, a special welcome. Uh, to anyone who might be watching this or listening to this on the internet, I'd also like to welcome you. Thank you for tuning in. So my name is Luke Steves, and I'm a 16-year-old student, and I've been a member of the Journey Church for nine years, and I'm really, really excited to be able to up, be up here and to give this message to you guys. So, as Jen already said, um, next week, a group of 19 youth and leaders, including myself, we're all heading up down to Dartmouth uh, in Nova Scotia, and we're going to be participating in an event called Title Impact, and the main focus of that will be to serve other people and learn more about God. Um, and like she said, we are taking over a service there, and I get the honor of being able to preach there as well. Um, the theme of Title Impact this year is God Loves a Party, which <laughs> um, sounds like a kind of interesting theme. I think it's going to be a pretty good week. Um, but to be related to that, uh, the parable that we're going to be looking into tonight and there is going to be the parable of the Great Banquet um, in Luke 14. So, let's get into it. <laughs> Now, as I was preparing this sermon, our teaching pastor, Brent Hudson, gave me some important context concerning this passage. He didn't want me to be giving this without knowing where Jesus was or what was going on, and it's actually kind of interesting. When Jesus is talking about this parable, he's actually at the house of a Pharisee, um, some of the strictest religious leaders in his time. And what he had noticed was everyone at the table had seated themselves to make themselves seem more important than they were, or to honor themselves. They'd chosen their own seating to represent their social standing. Now, Jesus, as Brent says, wasn't really a good party guest. He wasn't very polite. He decided to call them out on it. Um, and so Jesus, after confronting them about their lack of humility, it probably would have been pretty silent. It would have been pretty awkward sitting there knowing that the religious leaders had just been told a thing or two by Jesus. And so Brent suggests that to break this awkward silence, someone just blurts out how great it would be to eat dinner in the kingdom of God. So Jesus, seeing another opportunity to teach, gives us the parable of the great banquet. So here it is. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, Jesus tells the story of a man preparing a large feast, inviting many guests to come. Once the banquet is ready, the man sends out a messenger to tell all of his guests that it's prepared and that they should come out. But almost immediately, each and every guest starts making an excuse as to why they won't be able to show up. The first claims they just purchased a field. They have to go inspect it, so they won't be able to make it out. They'll have to be excused. The second claims that she just bought some oxen. She wants to try them out, so she can't come either. The last claims that he was just married, so he couldn't be able to come to the banquet. When the messenger returns and tells the man that no one is coming, He's absolutely furious. I mean, he'd sent out these invitations weeks in advance. Presumably, everyone already said they were coming, and now no one at all was going to show up. But still, the man really wants to have his feast. He therefore instructs his messenger to go out into the streets, to collect the poor and the crippled and the sick, and the blind to attend because his guests wouldn't come. After this has been done, there's actually more room left at the table. So the man urges the messenger to go out and look again, not only in his own city, but everywhere, taking anyone he finds to the house so that it is absolutely full of guests. The man then asserts that no one who he had originally invited will get even the slightest taste of his banquet. Now, for anyone who knows me, it's kind of ironic that I'm preaching on the great banquet, 
I'm a bit of an introvert, um, and big parties aren't really my thing. <laughs> but Jesus isn't really talking about a banquet. This is a parable, and it's actually a metaphor. There's a deeper message here. Jesus is using the banquet to represent the kingdom of God. God, represented by the man, extends his invitation to his kingdom to all people in this story. The interesting part is that the people who you might expect to show up, the people who have more successful traits or, or might seem more blessed by God, they don't even make it. Whereas the people who we ourselves might overlook end up being the only ones who enjoy the banquet. Being an excellent teacher, Jesus lays out this parable full of examples to help us understand his message better. In this story, there are three types of people that Jesus identifies in his list of potential party guests. The first, the group who refuse to show up at the banquet when the man sends for them are what we might call excuse makers. Interestingly, we're not even told in the Bible whether any of these excuses were valid. The only thing that matters is that the people decided that there was something more important in their life than heeding the call of the master. Jesus lays out for us that there are a few main categories of excuses people might try to use to get out of participating in God's work. But first off, it's important to note that none of the things being used as excuses are bad. In fact, these things being used as excuses are all perfectly good things. One of them is even part of God's law. The problem with these excuses comes only from the fact that we have a fallen nature and that we twist them into idols instead of seeing them the way God intended. The first thing that we see getting in the way of listening to God's call is work and a preoccupation with possessions. Luke 14, 18b to 19 says, One said, I have just bought a field and must expect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. I'll have to be excused. The act of buying a field in this time was only done by wealthy people. It was like an investment. You would try to grow it over time to get more money. Buying oxen was also a way to get money, but you would have to work for it. See, many people, when they're faced with a call to do something by God, are in the middle of working. I know, as a student, some of the stress of work. I mean, trying to maintain good grades and do God's call can be a little trying at times. And this work only increases when it comes to supporting oneself or even supporting a family. But when people who are caught up in their work are asked to serve by God, many want to make sure that their work is in order before they can follow. In fact, focus on working instead of listening to God reveals a theme that is common in each of these excuses. Each person is trying to rely on something other than God to fulfill one of their needs. The person that focuses on work, making sure that nothing can go wrong before they can follow God, shows a clear reliance on themselves to provide instead of God, their creator. I feel like it's important right now to remember, working is a good thing. In fact, Paul even says that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. <laughs> work is good, it was created by God. But the act of working can become a powerful distraction that takes us away from the will of God. Another thing closely related to this distraction of working is an obsession with possessions. Try saying that three times fast. It's very easy to relate the want of a wealthy person to increase his assets to our modern times, especially in the technology age. I mean, people in the story wanted to expect their fields. Today, when we get a new car or a new boat, an iPad, a phone, even a pet or a video game, it's apt to become an idol 
We can make it into a priority even over God's kingdom work. It's really easy. The distraction of things can cut heavily into the time that someone has to devote to God. Like the person in the story, we can even use it as an excuse to help oneself instead of helping others. This reliance on stuff shows dependence on things for our comfort instead of on God, the ultimate caregiver. See, the people in the story probably would have enjoyed themselves at the banquet, but they short-sightedly indulged in things, a trap that many of us easily fall into. The other excuse that Jesus shares actually has two interpretations, and this is kind of interesting. The first is a focus on relationships with people instead of God. Another said, now I have a wife, so I can't come. Luke 14, 19. I don't know if any of you adults remember here, um, but there is a time in a teenager's life where relationships with other people seems really important, um, especially romantic relationships. For some reason, we seem to have the idea that marriage is the ultimate goal in life, that once we get married, all of our problems will be solved and everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Of course, this isn't the case at all. <laughs> but like the person from the story, it's easy to think that relationships with other people are the only way to personal fulfillment. These relationships actually don't even have to be romantic. They can be looking for close friendships, closer families, a closer relationship with a spouse, and they can be a boyfriend or girlfriend. But these are all examples of humans looking to other humans to fill a God-given need for relationships. But this one can only be filled by the love of God. Again. Interpersonal relationships are a great thing. God is a relational God, and he wants us to have these with each other. But God still has to come first. There's also a second way of interpreting this excuse that uh, Brent Hudson brought up to me when I was doing this. It's really interesting. Jesus would have particularly used this to show the Pharisees a problem in their thinking. See, Jesus is actually referring to a law from Deuteronomy with this example. Deuteronomy 24.5, a newly married man must not be drafted into the army or given any other responsibilities. He must be free to spend one year at home, bringing happiness to the wife he has married. The man who uses his new marriage as an excuse is trying to use the rules to ignore God's call. The Pharisees, Jesus' audience, had already shown a propensity to do this. Just earlier that evening, they'd asked Jesus whether or not he would heal on the Sabbath because he weren't supposed to do any work. Of course, Jesus is compassionate, and he healed. Jesus clearly wants us to see that when it comes to following God, we have to focus on his will and heart, rather than using scripture to formulate poorly made excuses. Now, the excuse makers aren't the only group that Jesus brings to light in this story. The next group of people that Jesus identifies are who we might call self-doubters. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Luke 14, 21. While Jesus definitely wants us to take care of the actual poor and the actual disabled, he's also bringing to light a group of people who think that they are poor or inhibited spiritually. This group is represented time and time again through the Bible. Think of Moses. He doubted he could be of any use to God at all. He protested that he had a speech impediment he ran away from God when he called, and he even got his brother Aaron to speak for him instead because he didn't think he was good enough. Self-doubters are all through the Bible. They're the people who would never nominate themselves to do anything. But God uses them anyway. These self-doubters are the ones who wouldn't believe they could help the kingdom if you told them. 
But it's these people, the ones who can't use their own strength to succeed, that actually end up first to the banquet. The last group of people is who we might call the outsiders. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes, behind the hedges, and urge anyone you find to come, so that the house will be full. These are the people we wouldn't even consider to be candidates for the kingdom of God. Maybe they're of a different religion, they're atheists, they're foreign, they're an outcast, really anyone who isn't already part of God's kingdom. To the man, God, he doesn't want to stop looking when his kingdom is half full. He longs to have a relationship with everyone. Yeah, <laughs> no one is too far away, spiritually or spatially, to be part of God's kingdom. The only people in this passage who don't taste the banquet are the ones who straight up refuse to show up. Now that we know about the different people in this story, we have to ask a large question. Why did Jesus tell it? What message was he trying to use, giving this particular narrative? Why did Jesus use these people as examples? I think the answer is that Jesus knew that at different times, we can all identify with each of these guests. He wants to show us what we should strive to be like. So, which party guests do you identify with right now? Maybe you see yourself right now as an excuse maker. You've accepted God's initial invitation to be part of his kingdom work, but work seems to be getting in the way. Maybe you find a hobby or thing is taking priority over your God time. Maybe your relationships have taken your view off of God's perfect love in favor of the finite love of humanity. If you feel like you've been making excuses and you want to get back to serving God's ultimate purpose, remember, God's love is infinite. His forgiveness is abundant, and you can get back. Maybe today you'll make a new commitment to put God first, to change your perspective on what's a priority, from fulfillment from earthly things to things fulfilled by God's perfect fulfillment. Perhaps today you must identify with the self-doubters. Maybe you've heard God wants to use everyone, but you feel you're simply not qualified. Maybe you doubt your speaking ability, your strength, your intelligence, no matter how you see yourself. Remember, God can use the weakest, the meekest, the smallest to do his will. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom. He will give you everything you need to do just that. Remember, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Finally, maybe you're an outsider. Maybe you've never even thought of God's family. Maybe society hasn't seen your value, and you can't imagine how God would want you either. God doesn't just want the people inside his walls right now. He wants each and every person, and sees you as a fearfully and wonderfully made person, deserving of his love and forgiveness. Maybe you've never thought about being a God, part of God's kingdom today, but now you want to see what this God thing is all about. God will be overjoyed to have you at his banquet. As we come to a close here, there's one more important thing I'd like to say. Just as God has called each of us, we need to remember to look at others this, with the same acceptance. A title impact, we're going to be looking to serve the last group specifically, the ones who are outside of God's kingdom right now. A large character that we might overlook when we read this story is the servant. But just like the servant, 
When we accept our role of accomplishing God's kingdom work, we must see everyone as a potential party guest. Just as God has loved us, we must strive to love others, no matter what type of guest they might be. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for calling us all to be a part of your great kingdom. Thank you for being such a welcoming God who never gives up on us. God, help us to understand the things that might be stopping us from fully taking part in your kingdom work. Reveal to us our excuses and our doubts. Give us a love for those who do not know you yet. As we go out this week, bless us and keep us as we seek to do your work. In your name we pray, amen.